Hello. <laughs> Hello, Derek. My name is Derek Manns, and uh, Stagehand is my company. And uh, uh, this is the second in an experiment where we have been ta- spending some time with local um, personalities, local musicians, local music, uh, you know, people that are involved in the local music scene. And uh, Stagehand really is about promoting local live music. And, uh, and so here in the middle of the pandemic, we wanted to just make sure that we, we take a bit of time and uh, celebrate that and, and talk to some of the people that really have been involved in the, in the music scene over the years. So this morning I've got Dan Duguay. Dan is perhaps better known as Dan the One Man Band. Full disclosure, Dan and I have, have known each other for over a year and actually been working together for almost a year. I, I do recall that you're just recently celebrating 30 years of, uh, of performance, of being an entertainer. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to kind of get into that a little bit and, and, uh, and talk about your experience over the years, because obviously you've seen a number of things come and go. So, so welcome, Dan. And um, why don't we, yeah, why don't we just start right from the beginning? You, uh, you know, tell us how you got into this business. Uh, well, it was kind of a fluke. I didn't. I had never really. Uh, I'd never really planned on being a, a, a professional musician. It, um, I mean, I was always very passionate about music, and you know, right from the get-go, and started playing guitar when I was eight, eight or nine years old. My parents put me in some lessons, and and I just really gravitated to it and um, played it throughout you know it was kind of my my release mechanism through my teen years and then uh in high school played in bands you know could never find a drummer that was what kind of bands uh they like basically cover bands you know i remember playing like Leonard Skinner and the Stones and, and that kind of thing and and I had, there was a I had a buddy who lived just around the corner from me and he played guitar as well and we started playing to, we would get together once a week and and he was really good at singing harmonies and kind of started to develop that uh, and then when I was in university we started just doing coffee houses and, and open mics and that sort of thing this was in the in the early 90s and it was uh maybe even the late 80s and it was uh i caught the bug like we did we did some of these open mics and uh people were coming up afterwards and saying wow you guys sound great together and the light kind of went on went well maybe we got something here and uh we started busking was really the the first foray i was never one to go the traditional routes of finding so, an this was 1990 yeah this was in 90 1990 yeah. was really when my the the idea that i was going to be a musician started to come to fruition because what were you studying in university uh, i was i was I, in this was in ottawa and i was studying poli sci and anthropology so no, no, clearly no, no clear path as to what I was going to do with my life, and it was in that in the university that I started busking with this other fellow that I grew up with, and that was my first. My goodness, I just made money playing music. 
and it was the greatest feeling and so not very long after that the concept of being a one-man band came up I had a friend who another friend that I had grown up with he was my parents paper boy remember those um, and uh, he was a musician and he we had played together as well a lot of a lot of my early connections in life were with people that played music I have a I have a friend that I've had since grade five and he was a drummer and we used to get together and play music in his basement all the time and so this fella he uh, he had built a one-man band contraption and it started busking and he came to me and he said Dan if you want to do busking you really should you should really think about building this one-man band contraption because it it just attracts more people and if you attract more people you make more money and so as as I was starting my my busking career the idea of being self-contained was really appealing to me as well you know it's just it's hard to keep bands together not that I really had the foresight of what I was going to do or how long this was going to be but once I just made that decision to strap a drum onto my back and and stick bolts into my shoes it was the clouds parted and, and it it just I I had spent I was always an entertainer more than a musician I was an entertainer I loved I love making people laugh. Uh, you know, I was the class clown many years. I, my parents, my mom would say, he would try to charm the teachers rather than work hard to get good grades. He would charm the teachers so that they would give him good grades. And uh, did it work? I, I don't know if it worked. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a terrible student, but I certainly, you know, I just loved. I just always. Was a, I don't know if it was because I grew up watching all these sitcoms, you know, Gilligan's Island and Get Smart and all these TV shows. I just always loved comedy and I loved fusing comedy with whatever I was doing. So once I built this one-man band contraption, and it's hard to take yourself seriously. or And so I, I, I always was very lighthearted about my, my performances. I mean, I took the music seriously and learned learn the music but to me it was more important to get people to go hey that's that guy made me smile I'm gonna give him some money you know and uh, so that was once I once I made the novelty act of my music which doing street shows is, was kind of important if you were a guy standing on the corner playing Bob Dylan or Neil Young songs people didn't really notice you but if you were a guy standing on the corner with a drum on his back and harmonica and guitar and singing like a virgin, people noticed you, and <laughs> and you know just even saying that makes you smile. Which you know when back in those days when when street performance was really prominent, especially in Ottawa, like we had the Byward Market, which had a very robust street performing. Um, community as well as there was Spark Street which is at the pedestrian mall there had a robust community of you needed something that was going to set you apart because you're you're trying to grab somebody's attention uh, as they're going on with their day and so that was always my that was always paramount in my mind was trying to get that person that wouldn't normally stop for a, a, a street musician but they look at what I'm doing and go hmm that's interesting and then they see how hard I'm working, you know, stomping around, playing all these things, and they, people were like, "Man, I gotta give this guy money." You 
know, like he's just working so hard. So that was Ottawa. How'd yeah, you get to Calgary? Well, it was I. I kind of took a roundabout route. I had done some traveling for a few years, and then uh, was looking at somewhere to settle in Canada. I, I hadn't really thought about settling. It was just a place to be in Canada, and I had traveled through Calgary a few times, and uh, I. I always got a good vibe from this place and I definitely, you know, we're talking about the 90s again and Ottawa was not in a good position financially and Ontario wasn't in a good place financially and so coming out here I noticed right away that the the my my guitar case was heavier at the end of the day than it was in Ottawa. So there was that um, back in this is in 95 I came to Calgary and uh, Back then, Eau Claire Market was a really uh, had a lot going on. The weekends were very busy, and they allowed indoor street performing, which there wasn't that many places in Canada that you could do that. And so it was great because I could work rain or shine, 364 days a year, uh, and and so my my work week was essentially Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I would go down to. Uh, Eau Claire and play I would also play on Stephen Avenue which is a pedestrian mall during the good weather uh, Princess Island was a good so the the busking scene of Calgary was definitely something that attracted me to this city initially so you said once or twice you talked about you know back then or in those days so I'm assuming that's changed like the the ability to make a living as a street performer, as a busker, or to go down to Stephen Avenue, or to um, uh, Eau Claire. Yeah. So what, I, I guess I'm just curious, what has changed in your mind? Why is that? Uh, well, be? I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about what the 90s were like, there was no, there was no cell phones. Everybody had money in their pockets. You know, I, I like to say that I, I came out Serendipitously, I started my busking career when the Looney was brand new. It came out in '87. The Toonie came out in '92 or '93. So Canadians were just walking around with pockets full of change, and uh, so that's changed. You know, like now with everybody carrying around debit cards and credit cards, there, there's just the, the the money flowing just isn't there anymore, and so there's this gap. For, for buskers because yeah like I, I mean I have I don't do it that often I did it a little bit last summer uh, thanks to stagehand they had they had that program running on uh, on Stephen Avenue but you know the number of people that would say oh I love what you're doing but I don't have any money or people would say I've even heard people say oh you know like I saw this busker and I wanted to stop but I didn't have any money, so I didn't stop because I felt bad. If I stopped, it felt like I should give them money. So that's changed. The cell phone world is a different world. Like I, you know, it, it's it's. I'm not not to be critical, but that idea of people just standing there recording your performance and then they walk away, it's just so. It can be so soul wretching, you know. Just that whole. Okay, so you're gonna go home and you're gonna show your whoever this video of something interesting that you saw but you didn't have the money but maybe they didn't have any money which is 
completely understandable and and people are different now they there's a lot more of that oh i've i've seen everything you know whereas back in the 90s somebody venturing out to do something it's stri strapping seven instruments to their body and going out and making music that was that was newsworthy whereas it's it's a little bit less newsworthy now so the 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 whole industry has changed so you talked about calgary and eau claire um but i know you've traveled all over the world where where else have you performed uh, I've, I've performed in Europe, in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Thailand. I uh, went down to Africa. I was in Kenya with a, with a Kenya, and I went to another. Uh, I went to Peru as well with this organization called For the Love of Children Society, which is a Calgary organization that helps uh, under underprivileged uh, children. So I went over there with this group to uh, they were they were bringing over money and supplies to uh, orphanages and, uh, and schools and that sort of thing. So the idea was that I would go and play at these orphanages and play at these schools. And yeah, it was it was really uh, so great experience. lots of water under the bridge. Yeah. Um, what? Any particular memories that really stand out for you in your 30 years? That, yeah, like, uh, I I went over to the Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival a few times, and uh, I just love that energy of that place. And I I just had some really memorable shows there. I re I remember one night I was playing on the Royal Mile, and I was having a good show. There was I probably had I don't know a hundred people standing around watching singing along we were singing you know Cecilia and whatever and and uh, the police came and they they said you can't play on the Royal Mile it's too late you, and there's been too many complaints you gotta you gotta you gotta leave and uh, somebody in the so I was I was standing right by this church and somebody had said hey let's just go into the churchyard and uh, and uh, bunch of people came in and they grabbed all my stuff and we hauled over to the this churchyard and uh, I was surprised at the number of people that followed along probably three-quarters of the people were still there and we were just about to start when this other band started playing no it wasn't another band it was a, a fire we called it a feral fire show it was just kind of the twir twirling poi and whatever and so they had just started and I said oh well I guess that's the end of the show, and then somebody said, "Let's go to the the back of the church," and uh, so again they all picked up their stuff and we went to the back and I'm like, "Well, this is weird." Um, now I'm not even anywhere in near the fringe, and but still a lot of people came along and it was in this it was in this spot where um, I so I, I started playing. It was a good it was I was having a happening show, but people could see that there was something happening. Be oh, what's going on behind the church? And so by the end of my show, I must have had like three or four hundred people standing around, and they and it was just really, it was really powerful for me. You write your own songs as well. You've, yeah. You've uh, yeah. released some albums, some yeah. songs, and that sort of thing. Anything in that regard that really stands out for you as a let's call it a favorite song or something that has particular meaning for you? Uh, yeah. The, yeah, well, the the kids album was an interesting thing because it was basically I've been raising kids for 
the better part of two decades now and and so a lot of those songs came out of raising them but my first album that came out in the 2001 uh i had been in a uh i was uh involved in a uh, hollywood movie starring james Caan, and uh it was called viva lost nowhere and uh, they sent me the even though i didn't have a speaking part in the movie uh i uh, they they i was hired as johnny the one-man band and uh but they sent me the script so i wrote a song uh based on the script for the movie and uh it, it ended up turning out it, it ended up turning out very well the the concept in the movie was that there was this small town in the middle of nowhere that was going to be popular become popular as a as a tourist destination because it was the middle of america it was it was the same distance to the atlantic ocean as it was to the pacific ocean and so they were going to do that and so i i basically just went through the script and and wrote this song and i've been playing that one for 12 for what, 20 sorry, years what's it now. called it's called viva lost nowhere oh, that's called viva lost nowhere yeah so is that can we find that on yeah that's well it's available on itunes and spotify and what about the movie is that is that still uh well the movie unfortunately the movie there was a lot of there was a lot of groundswell about it and then it came out as uh dead simple so it didn't even have the same it had a different working title Okay. And uh, it came out. It it showed at the Calgary uh, Film Festival, which was cool. It was down at the Globe Theater. That was that was fun. But it really uh, it was it was kind of one of those straight to video uh, type movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually ended up making some residual money from that. I got paid well to be in the movie, and then uh, I would get these SoCan checks every six months and it was playing in poland and all like all these random places and and i i still have people oh i I caught your movie there i'm only on the screen for i think like four seconds but my my song is my the song i played and it was played and they didn't use the song that i had written for them they i ended up playing a different song that's also on the album it was a weird one it had like james con who's a big star you know uh Patricia Richardson, who was the mother on uh, Home Improvement, if you remember that sitcom. Uh, Daniel Stern, who was one of the bad guys in Home Alone, was in there. Uh, so it had some, some pretty big names. And I was hanging the out Dan in the one man band. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> and I was hanging out in the green room with those guys. I got a nice picture of me and and uh, James Con standing there. And was that here in Calgary? Yeah, uh, Blackie, Alberta, <clears throat> okay. just out by High River there. Yeah. So last question, uh, answer it however you want. What does is, what is live music really mean to you? What does it represent to you? It, uh, live mu- music is about culture. It's about community. Uh, it's, that, it's a sharing of an experience. You know, traveling, traveling as much as I have, it, music as cliche as it is is the universal language and it you're you're hard pressed to find people that don't have an appreciation for music and i just find like it's part of our it's just part of our dna music is part of our of the human experience and live music just kind of brings that all together awesome I think that's a great way to to leave it. So, Dan, it's been I appreciate 
this. And yeah, it's been it's, it's been, been great working with yeah, you over thanks. the last uh, over the last year. As we sort of try to figure things out, and obviously the pandemic has made things doubly challenging to sort of uh, navigate. But um, yeah, it's always great to hear people's story and and uh, uh, wish you. Uh, all the best and obviously we're going to continue to work together over the next next while so uh, thanks again thanks Derek I appreciate that and I appreciate stage <laughs>